let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. Samuel was so excited to be returning home to his village. It had been almost 20 years since he moved away from Sawaliga in the northern region of Ghana. He was just a youth back then. He'd gone to southern Ghana to seek his fortune. And now as he made his way back home with his wife and children, he was looking forward to settling again in his village and reviving his father's farmland. Of course, Samuel was excited to see his relatives and to return to his ancestral home. But there was another reason, a more important reason, that he was excited about this particular journey. You see, when he was living in southern Ghana, he'd made an important discovery. It was the most important discovery he'd ever made in his life. Samuel had been introduced to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He had never known the wonderful good news up in Sawaliga, and he thought all of his friends and family would be excited to hear this good news about Jesus Christ also. A smile crossed his face as he thought about the joy that he would receive uh, when he gave the good news to his people. He had plans to start a church and win souls to Christ. It would be fantastic. But when Samuel began to preach the gospel, he met strong resistance. In fact, the chief in Sawaliga refused to allow him to start a church or win others to Christ. The persecution increased until finally the chief and the elders exiled Samuel and his family from the town. Heartbroken, Samuel and his family fled Sawaliga. After all those years away, They'd come back with such high hope. Now it seemed as if they would never be able to return. It seemed there was no way back. But disappointment could not quench Samuel's love for God and for his people. Finding refuge in God and in another nearby village, Samuel began praying persistently that God would send missionaries to Sawaliga. He prayed fervently that God would raise up a church where people could worship Jesus Christ. It took years of faith in the dark for Samuel to see the answer. But in 2016, God sent a team from the Agape House New Testament Church here in Accra to Sawaliga to preach the gospel and plant a church. And through the efforts of our church, the first and only church in Sawaliga was established. Of the 400 residents in town, 200 gave their life to Jesus Christ. And Samuel was welcomed back home. Today, he is an elder in the church in Sawaliga. When it seemed as if there was no way back, the way maker opened the door and brought Samuel back home. The way maker made a way for the gospel to be brought to the people of Sawaliga, for a church to be established and for souls to be saved. And in the inspiring true story of the church in Sawaliga, there's a message of hope for all of us today. For no matter what has been lost, God can restore it. No matter how far you've gone, God can bring you back. 
sometimes it seems like all hope is gone and that there will never be restoration. But God is able, God is willing, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that Jesus, the way maker, can make a way back for all of us. If you believe it, say amen. You see, if Jesus could come back from the dead, he can also bring you back from any loss. If Jesus could come back from hell, then he can bring you back from any hurt. If nothing could stop Jesus from coming back, then nothing can stop the people that have Jesus in them from coming back as well. That's the powerful message in our sermon today, a sermon entitled The Way Back. We're going to discover three ways Jesus can bring all of us back. But before we learn the truth, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the great power of the resurrection that brought Jesus back from the dead, back from hell, back from the suffering and pain. And we, your people, now call upon that name, the name that is above every other name, that you will bring us back today. Bring us back from disappointment. Bring us back from doubt. Bring us back from dryness. Revive us and restore us today with your resurrection power. We submit to you. We bind every voice of the devil coming to deceive, disturb, or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit to come and enlighten our hearts and minds and to fill us with your love, your light, and your life. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to invite you today to join your faith with mine. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Truth For Today. It's great to have you joining me here today in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. I want to reassure you that God did not bring you here by accident. He's got you watching. He's got you listening because this word is coming to revive you and restore you. He will lift you and liberate you and loose you from every chain. If you believe it, say amen. See, that's the good news of the gospel. God loves us so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live amongst us on earth and show us the way to heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could receive new life as we're born again. And Jesus Christ has risen from the dead so that we too can experience victory over death. Because he lives, uh, we live also. Because he conquered sin, we can conquer also. Because he overcame sickness and Satan and death and every other power, we too can live in victory. Somebody say victory. Yet oftentimes we must be honest. We as Christians today are not experiencing the fullness of Christ's great victory. We serve a God who rose from the dead on Sunday, but a lot of us still live like it's Friday. Our God rolled away the stone and left the tomb behind, but a lot of us still live like it's Saturday, and the tomb is still shut up. 
But you see, it's not enough to believe in the resurrection. We have to live resurrected lives. It's not enough to believe in a victorious Savior. We have to live victorious lives. It's not enough to celebrate Easter once a year. We have to live Easter all year long. We have to live in that victory every day. We have to find our way back from the disappointment, the doubt, and the dryness of Friday and Saturday so that we can embrace the potential and the power of Resurrection Sunday. Jesus didn't die for his own sake. He died for ours. He didn't rise for his own sake. He rose for ours. He did it so we could experience that same power, that same life, and that same victory. He rose from the dead to make a way out and to make a way back for every one of us. So how does the Waymaker make a way back for us? Well, to help us discover that truth, we prepared sermon notes. You'll find your sermon notes available for download free of charge at our website and our social media platforms. I encourage you to take them out now and follow along for yourself as we study God's Word. Let's dig deep into God's truth for today. Our scripture text is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 24. It's the story of two disciples who needed the way maker to make a way back for them. Even though it was Easter Sunday, they were living like it was silent Saturday. They were depressed, filled with doubt, and spiritually dry. But in their turnaround story, we find the keys to turn around our own lives as well. Now, receive the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in the last days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Our story begins on Easter Sunday. The Bible says that very day. It was the very day that Jesus had conquered death. It was the very day that the stone was rolled away. It was that very day that the glory of God brought Jesus Christ to life and gave us cause to rejoice. Yet these two disciples are not rejoicing. Verse 17 says clearly that they were sad. They were not at the empty tomb celebrating. They were not in the temple worshiping. They were walking away from their destiny with their heads hanging low and their hankies drying their tears and their hearts filled with grief. It's not that they had not heard the good news. It's not that they were not there when Mary came and Peter and John came from the empty tomb. They'd heard the reports but they were unable to celebrate. Something was blocking them from enjoying the way out that Jesus had provided for them. So they wandered off down the road going further and further and further from their destiny. And maybe you're here today and that's how you feel. You've heard the good news, but you've not experienced it for yourself. You've heard the testimonies of other people and seen the excitement of others receiving miracles and answers to prayer, but something hangs heavy in your heart. You're confused, you're crying, and you're carried off from where God wants you to be. Like these two disciples, you need the waymaker to make a way back for you. But the good news is this, Jesus did not leave these two disciples to wander off into oblivion. Jesus could have turned his back on them, but instead, on the day he rose from the dead, he followed them, he pursued them, he found them, and he made a way back for them. The resurrected Lord took time to find these two disciples and walk with them on their seven-mile journey to Emmaus. Jesus had just risen from the dead. It was the greatest event in history. And what did he do? He took a walk to bring two men back to faith. These disciples were on the wrong road, headed in the wrong direction, to the wrong destination. Yet the resurrected Jesus Christ took time to find them and talk to them. For the fact is, no matter where you go, God's grace will come and chase you down. And that gives us hope today as we consider how the waymaker makes a way back for us. And here's your first way. The waymaker makes a way back from disappointment. Everybody say, disappointment. Luke chapter 24, 17 says, and they stood still looking sad. This was a day of great joy, yet they were filled with sorrow. And because of their disappointment, these two disciples left Jerusalem and headed off down the wrong road to Emmaus. But the fact is, if you will trust in the way maker, you don't need to wander in the wrong direction. For the truth is, God is working even when you don't know it. The Emmaus disciples were not aware, but Jesus himself was walking with them and talking to them and teaching them and leading them back. He was doing all of that as they walked to Emmaus. And that's what the Bible tells us will happen to all of us. Whether we know it or not, whether we see it or not, God is always working in us. For Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2.13, God is working in you. Put your hand on your chest and say, God is working in me. 
God is working in you. He wants your plans and your acts to fulfill his good purpose. And I'm here to declare you today, whether you know it or not, whether it feels like it or not, God is working in you. He is guiding your plans. He's directing your actions. He's working to fulfill his good purpose in you. So here's what you need to do today. Don't judge the journey before it's over. Too often, if we start on a journey and the surroundings don't look convenient, we come up with a different route. Too often when we begin a journey, if it doesn't seem pleasant, we divert to a different detour. And that's what the disciples did. They were supposed to be in Jerusalem, but they left to go to Emmaus. And even their journey to Emmaus was gloomy and miserable. But what they didn't know was that the journey would end up in a breakthrough. The waymaker was with them, and the waymaker was with them so that he could bring them back. And before they would end their journey, they would end up back with God. And I declare to you today, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your circumstances look like, don't judge the journey before it's over. If you trust in God's promise, then you have to trust in his path. These men trusted God's promises. They believed the prophets when they said a Messiah would come, yet they doubted when the plan didn't go the way they expected. But here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. Life's disappointments become God's appointments when you embrace his purpose. And if you'll submit to God and allow him to work out your path in his way and his time, then he will turn disappointment into divine appointment. That's why God tells us in Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the truth we can learn from the amazing true story of a young boy named Dylan Askin. Little Dylan was just two years old when he became very ill. He was rushed to the hospital on Christmas Day in 2015 when he started struggling to breathe. Doctors discovered that the young boy had cysts on his lungs and was suffering from a collapsed lung. And sadly, things continued to deteriorate for little Dylan. He caught pneumonia and eventually was put on life support equipment. Then on Good Friday, 2016, the doctors told Dylan's parents, he will die. There was nothing more they could do to save his life. Family members gathered around to weep and console one another and say goodbye to the little boy. The doctors removed the breathing equipment. They took him off the life support, and his parents prepared his funeral. But surprisingly, Dylan didn't die. When the doctors removed the breathing equipment, Dylan started improving. His heart rate became normal. His oxygen levels picked up. And on Easter Sunday, 2016, Dylan Askin woke up from his coma. It was an Easter miracle. At the moment when everything seemed lost, God had a better plan. When things looked blackest, the sun was just about to rise. Dylan's parents' disappointment became God's appointment to give them an Easter miracle. Today, Dylan Askin is a healthy, happy nine-year-old boy, and he's a reminder to all of us that we should not judge the journey before it's over. 
How often do we feel sad and discouraged because we think that God is not working when the spiritual reality is that God is at work? These disciples were with Jesus himself, but they didn't recognize him. The answer was right in front of them, but they didn't see it because they were clouded by their own emotions. They were limited by their perception of how they expected things to work out. Their expectations, drove their emotions and their emotions came up empty. But when your expectation is centered on God and you trust in him, you will never be moved. For Psalm 62, 5 and 6 says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Lift your hand and say, I shall not be moved. Because when you allow the truth of the resurrection to guide your expectation. You will never be disappointed. When your eyes are on the risen Lord, your expectation aligns with God's plan and purposes. You won't try to figure things out in your own mind and wisdom. You'll surrender to his plan and surrender to his path. For 1 Peter 1.3 says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation because Jesus conquered death. We live with expectation of what God will do. All things are possible. If he could rise from the dead, he can resurrect your dead dreams. He can resurrect your dead marriage. He can resurrect your dead career. He can resurrect your dead destiny. Somebody say amen. And that's what Jesus did for these two disciples. When they turned their backs on him, Jesus did not turn his back on them. Jesus' response to their disappointment uh, was to find them and walk with them. Because when you're filled with disappointment, you need God's grace. God's grace was available for them to make a way back. And God's grace is available to you to make a way back. God's grace is enough for you in your time of disappointment. It's the strength you need. It's the strength to do what you need to do, even when things don't work out the way you planned. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, I have learned the secret of how to live through any kind of situation. Here it is. When I have enough to eat or when I'm hungry, when I have everything I need or when I have nothing. Christ is the one who gives me the strength I need to do whatever I must do. In other words, his grace gives us the way back from disappointment. And that brings us to our second truth today. The way maker makes a way back from doubt. Everybody say doubt. See, disappointment caused these two disciples to begin to Doubt. Listen again to what it says in Luke 24, 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped that Jesus was the answer. They had hoped that Jesus was the way maker. But when things didn't go the way they thought they should, they began to doubt. Not only do they feel disappointed, they experienced doubt. They doubted God's word. They doubted God's promise. They doubted God's prophecy. It wasn't that they did not know the word of God. They did. They could quote the prophets. But they made the mistake of evaluating God's word by their experience 
experience rather than evaluating their experience by God's word. And because these two disciples doubted God's word, they were unable to recognize Jesus in their midst. Their unbelief in the Bible caused them to be blind to the presence of Jesus. He was there, standing right next to them, walking on the same path, talking to them, but they didn't see him. They missed the miracle presence of God. And the fact is, your faith in God's word is linked to your ability to see and discern what God is doing. If you don't believe God's word, you won't receive God. Jesus can be right in your midst, moving in miracle power, and you will miss the moment of visitation. Because you doubt God's word. See, faith in God's word is fundamental to every spiritual experience. You cannot properly relate to Jesus if you don't properly relate to his word. That's why Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. You keep trying to figure things out in your own mind and your own reasoning, how it will work. You keep trying to make sense of things, but you're ignoring the only thing that puts life in perspective the truth of God's word. You're slow to believe. And when you don't believe, you get out of the place you should be and you start searching for solutions somewhere else. These two disciples were never meant to go to Emmaus. They diverted from their purpose. Their destiny was Jerusalem. The power of the Holy Spirit was coming to Jerusalem. The miracle breakthrough was coming to Jerusalem. Everything they needed in life was in Jerusalem. But when they doubted God's word, they left the place of promise that held a promise for them. That's why Jesus said, you foolish people, there is nothing more foolish than doubting God's word. For Proverbs 30, 4 to 6 tells us, who but God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the wind in his fists? Who wraps up the oceans in his cloak? Who has created the whole wide world? What is his name and his son's name? Tell me if you know. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. And consider what this passage is teaching us. Every word of God proves true. He is always right. But at the end he says, do not add to his words. And you might wonder today, how do we add to his words? We add to his words when we insert the word, but. I know God is faithful, but it doesn't feel like it. I know the Bible says we should avoid fornication, but we love each other. I know he said I shouldn't doubt, but I know the Bible says it's control, but I don't see how I'm going to make it. I don't know where the money will come from, so I better take matters into my own hands. Are you seriously trying to tell me that God's word is not true? Are you seriously trying to suggest that God cannot handle your problem? You say you believe in God, but you're not sure about his promise. You say you believe in Jesus, but you're keeping control just in case. But friends, listen to me today. Almighty God is in control of all things. He rules over all. 
fall and nothing can stand in his way. He created the tree on which he died. He created the iron that formed the nails that held him to the tree. He created the stone used to seal his tomb. He created the guards and the soldiers who were sent there. All things are under his control. He's the mighty one, the creator, and he was able to rise from the dead because he controls everything. If you believe it, say amen. And the same power that conquered death is the same power available to everyone who believes in God's word. For God says in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord. I do not change. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the creator of the universe. He holds the stars in his hands. He never gets confused, for all wisdom is his. He never feels afraid, for all power is his. He never worries about the future, for the future is in his hand. He's not the great I was. He is the great I am. For Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to reassure you today, he knows your tomorrow, and he knows how to get you there. He has the times in his hands, and no matter how bad things look, God is on his throne. Hallelujah. The devil may rage, people may doubt, nations may prepare for war, but at the end of history, Jesus comes riding victorious and triumphant, and every single enemy is under his feet. His kingdom cannot be shaken because it is ruled by a king that cannot be shaken. He cannot lie. His word cannot fail. For Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. All that trust in him will have victory for God's words never failed. A few years ago, a certain young man was leaving the house to go out on New Year's Eve for a party. He had girls and drink and drugs. He was going to go have a great party. As he was leaving, he told his godly mother that he was going out for a party. His godly mother said to him, be sure you take God with you. The young man said, God, there ain't no room for God in my car. I got girlfriends, drink, drugs. I don't have room for God. I guess God will have to ride in the boot. <laughs> they drove off. But as they went, they were in a very serious car accident. The car somersaulted and was nearly totally destroyed, smashed beyond recognition. Everyone inside was killed instantly. There was only one section of the car that wasn't damaged, the boot. When the police investigators opened the boot, there was a crate of eggs in the boot. Not one egg was cracked. The eggs were unharmed, untouched. God rode in the boot, and the boot was secure but everything else was destroyed. And that's how it is for your life. Anything under the control of God, anything aligned with God's word will be unshakable. But every other thing in your life outside God will be utterly destroyed. Whatever part of your life belongs to him will survive and succeed.
The Bible says in Luke 1, 37, the word of God will never fail. That's why Jesus' response to their doubts was to teach them the word of God. In verse 27, the text says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So when you're filled with doubt, you need God's word. The only thing that will carry you through the tough times of doubt and disappointment is the word of God. These disciples had just experienced the two worst days of their lives. It was about to shipwreck their faith. They were walking away from God. Two days of trouble and they were quitting. Two days of wahala and they were backsliding. And Jesus knew that in order to bring them back, they had to receive the word of God. Yes, Friday was the day of sorrow. Yes, Saturday God was silent. Uh, but Sunday morning was coming. The promise had been given. The prophecies had been assured. The plan of God was never in doubt. And Christ was going to rise from the dead. And in the time between Friday Friday's loss and Sunday's gain. The word of God is what would keep them on the path. And that's the same thing for you. Maybe you're here today in Friday mode. It seems like everything is lost. It seems that there's no way back. Or maybe you're here in Saturday mode. It looks like God is silent. He's not speaking. But friend, whether it's gloomy Friday or silent Saturday, I came to tell you that Sunday is coming. I came to tell you the promise of the resurrection is at hand. I came to tell you the resurrection will always triumph. Christ will always overcome. Do not doubt because his word is sure. Psalm 12 6 says the words of the Lord are flawless like silver purified in a crucible like gold refined seven times. So believe the word of God. Fill your heart and mind with his promise. His word gives you a way back from doubt. And that brings us to our third way back. The way maker makes a way back from dryness. Everybody say dryness. Disappointment led to doubt. And doubt leads to dryness. Listen to our text in verse 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. So listen. These two disciples who were backsliding had heard from reliable friends, people they knew. They'd heard that the tomb was empty. They'd heard multiple reports that Jesus was not at the tomb. There were credible eyewitness accounts from people they trusted that Jesus had risen. Yet these two disciples did nothing. They didn't go to see for themselves. And they doubted those who did go. I don't know about you, but if I had been there, I think I would have tightened my belt, put on my Nikes, and run to the tomb to check it out myself. But these guys head off in the opposite direction. Instead of seeking Jesus, they sought a return home. Instead of spiritual hunger, they have spiritual complacency. Well, I don't know what happened, so let's just go home. Why didn't they seek God? Why didn't they look for Jesus? Why didn't they stir the embers of revival into the fire of God's glory burned in them? For the fact is God responds to those who respond to him. James 4.8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Any of the disciples could have gone to the tomb to see for themselves. 
any disciple could have seen the angels. Any of them could have met the risen Christ. Any of the disciples could have been there to see. But only three or four saw. Only a few had an empty tomb experience because only a few had the hunger for the things of God. These two disciples refused to walk two kilometers to the empty tomb, but they walked seven kilometers to an empty village. They couldn't get up to go see the risen Lord, but they were willing to go out of town to seek consolation somewhere else. And it's the same for many of us in the world today. Many sit around and talk about God, but few seek him. Many debate doctrine, but few pursue the divine presence. But I'm here to tell you today that if you get up and seek him, Jesus will meet you. To all those who are hungry, to all those who are passionate, to all those who are thirsty, to all those who long for revival, Jesus is coming to fill you with his presence. For First Chronicles 28.9 says, learn to know God intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. And I'm calling us today to examine our hearts. We need to get serious with God. Jesus came from heaven, but you won't even get up and come to prayer meeting. He left glory, but you don't want to leave your football match. Jesus rose from the dead, but you won't even get out of bed to get to church on time. Jesus conquered death, but you won't conquer your bad habits. Jesus gave his all for us, but you squeeze your face when you have to give 10% of your income. He sacrificed, but you don't want to sacrifice for him. Enough! Enough of our excuses. Let's find the way back so we can meet Jesus. Enough of our compromise. Let's find the way back so we can be revived. Enough of our fear of man. Let's find the way back so we can be consumed with a passion for our Lord. Enough of our lukewarm, half-hearted, dead religion. Let's find our way back so we can burn for God. Enough. It's time to give the Lord what is due to him. It's time that Jesus receive the reward of his suffering. It's time that we be devoted to him till all we have and all we are belongs to God. It's time to seek him till there's no sin left in our lives, no compromise in our words, no doubt in our hearts, no passion for anything but Christ, no desire but anything for God, no goal but his glory. For when you have a dry soul, the solution is to get up and seek the living water. The solution is to hunger and thirst for God. When you're hungry and thirsty, he promises to fill you. If you're apathetic about the things of God, dryness overtakes your life. And God is calling us back today from disappointment, from doubt, and from dryness. And here we come back to the grace of God. For Jesus reaches out to these two disappointed, doubt-filled, dry disciples and reveals himself to them. Listen to 30 and 31. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. See, when you're spiritually dry, you need God's glory. This is more than knowledge. This is revelation. This is more than religion. This is relationship. This is more than church on Sunday. This is Christ within me.
when you get a revelation of who he is, you get into his presence and his glory, and you will never be the same. In Job 42, 5 and 6, Job had that experience. He said, in the past, I heard about you, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm so sorry. I sit in the dust and ashes. I promise to change my heart and life. See, Job had heard about God. He knew something about God. But when he experienced him, encountered him in his life, he was changed. He saw God and he saw himself in the light of God's glory. He saw his sin and repented. And if we had a visitation of God today, every one of us would be on the ground, on the floor, weeping over our sin. We wouldn't be claiming blessings. We'd be weeping for our sin. That's the experience of every man and every woman who ever lived that had an encounter with God. A revelation of his glory changes us changes everything. That's what happened to the prophet Isaiah. Listen to his testimony in Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the temple was filled with his glory. Hovering about him were mighty six-winged angels of fire. They sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Such singing it was, it shook the temple to its foundation, and suddenly the the entire sanctuary was filled with smoke. Then I said, my doom is sealed, for I am a foul-mouthed sinner, a member of a sinful, foul-mouthed race, and I've looked upon the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go? And I said, Lord, I'll go. Send me. When Isaiah saw God, he was undone. He saw his sin. He was ashamed. But then God offered him grace and offered to use him, and he surrendered to God. And my point to you today is you cannot meet God and stay the same. If you see him in his glory, it will change you. It will bring you to repentance and stir you to get up and go. That's what happened to Paul. He was knocked down on the Damascus Road. Jesus appeared to him, and when he got up, he was never the same. He surrendered his life to God's service and became the greatest apostle that ever lived when he met Jesus face to face. And today, if you will get slain in the spirit, in the real revelation of God, it will change you. I'm not talking about falling down under the power. Lots of people fall down under the power. They jump right back up, and there is no change in their life. But I'm here to tell you today that if you will get up and get in the presence of God, it will change you. What we need is Jesus. What we need is a divine encounter. What we need is a revelation of Christ in our midst. We need to meet him for all our problems would be solved with a divine encounter. All our quarrels will be silenced by a moment of his glory. All our fear and doubt and disappointment and dryness will be washed away when we encounter the risen Savior face to face. And that's what the resurrection is all about. Jesus died and rose again so that you could know God. He removed the barriers. The way maker has made a way in for us to God's presence. And the way maker has made a way out from sin and bondage. And the way maker has made a way back for every one of us. So let us take the way back today. Since Jesus has made a way for us, let us walk in it. Turn back from the place of disappointment. Return from the place of doubt. Leave the dry place and come back to the Heavenly Father. 
For Hebrews 10.21 says, Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right in to the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. Let us go right in to the presence of God. Let Jesus deliver you from disappointment, doubt, and dryness. Come to Him and receive life, power, and grace. Father, in the name of Jesus, I submit this people to you today. I bind every voice of the devil that would come to steal your word out of our hearts. Seal up your word in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let it go down deep and take root. Let it grow up and bear fruit for your glory. Let us grow into a mighty tree to bring a mighty harvest for your kingdom. I ask you to loose and release your power, your revelation, your word, your presence to every heart watching and listening today that you will deliver us from disappointment, deliver us from doubt, deliver us from dryness, and let us walk in your presence and fulfill your will. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we will like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.